everybody. This is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast. We are at Podcast 427 here. <laughs> this That's is your so new exciting. thing. You announced the number of the I'm podcast just, at the yeah, beginning of like, every wow, single one. 427. <laughs> so we were talking about Peter Zahan's book. Yeah. So End of the world. I have a question. Because mm. I feel like you talk a lot about these sort of like big picture ideas and you like to look at I don't know predictions about the next couple of years and where's the market going and da, da 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 basically like all this stuff that I have not much interest in and I think you like it just for kind of fun intellectual pursuit frankly but my question is how much do you or have you in the past and maybe it's changing how much do you consider these like larger thoughts about the future or macro global predictions in what kinds of companies you even start to like research and look at and then part two is like actually invest in but for somebody who's thinking okay you know there's a world of possibilities out there I have limited time what am I going to start even researching um one interesting way to do it might be like well I think you know water might be something that's scarce in the future and I could start Mm -hmm. looking at those kinds of companies would you say like is that something that you've done in the past is that something you've thought about that sort of style of narrowing things down or do you think do you think it's a good idea bad idea Every once in a while, I think, oh yeah, I, I, I think I can, I think I can figure something like this out, and then I find out that I can't. <laughs> That's what it really boils <laughs> down to. Is honestly, I'm just not smart enough. I mean, I think you've got people out there who can think of things like this and what's going to be the future. But I mean, I'm, I'm. I honestly, don't. I sort by of the take, way, huh? I, I don't. I take that. a little refuge in Warren Buffett not really being able to figure out the future that much either. Um, although I'm certainly he does it probably more than he says he does it but I'm thinking specifically about his introduction to Jeff Bezos back in the 1990s when Bezos had created Amazon it was moving right Mm -hmm. along and Buffett talking about how he couldn't feel comfortable investing in it because at that point in time maybe this was Charlie talking at that point in time there were all kinds of companies that were trying to do that sort of thing totally and yeah. you know, picking the winner is just really hard to do and not their expertise. And so Warren talked about how Bill Gates was encouraging him to invest in computers and get a computer and get on top of the new things that were happening. And Buffett sort of said, well, you know, is it going to change the way people chew gum, this, these new things? And Gates said no. Said, well, then you go buy computers, and I'm going to go buy gum. Essentially, that we want to invest in things that aren't going to change. It's the whole point is that mm-hmm. we need to be we need to be able to see that there's a predictable future here, and it's very difficult to do that with technology. And yet, here's Buffett now investing in Apple Computer, right? Yeah, so I mean, something, something after must have he happened. saw who the winner was basically yeah long after he saw who the winner was and he bought apple when it was very much on sale based on its free cash flow and i i know because i bought it at the same time and we're absolutely looking at it for 
maybe the same reasons. It just was such an obviously huge free cash flow or what we'd call owner earnings that were pouring off of Apple and I could buy it at the time for 11, an 11% yield if I owned the whole company. I would be getting 11% per year just on its owner earnings cash flow forever. And it was like, you can't, that's just a super deal on a rental property here. You know, if I could buy a house and get an 11% yield on it, I'd buy it all day. Right. So that that's what took us into it. And it turned out that's what Buffett was looking at as well, along with the stability of the company as a consumer company. So I guess the answer is, I love to think I can figure something out and I like to read everything and it turns me on to, to dig into stuff like the end of the world is just the beginning. It's going to be fun to dig into that yeah. and really try to understand it. But at the end of the day, my successful investing is based on the same thing over and over again. And that is that I see a very easy to understand business and for reasons unconnected to it, it goes on sale. And then I buy it. And it's like, I mean, it's honestly a no brainer. If you think about it like that, it's fallen massively out of favor over the last five or six years just because those companies aren't going on sale hardly ever. And so you end up just waiting and waiting and waiting. Uh, as Charlie and Warren said, it's just gotten a lot harder lately. And the reason it's gotten a lot harder is because the government has stepped in to modify the impact of the ups and downs of the market that it would normally take. So yeah. these market fluctuations that Ben Graham talked about back in the 1930s, they're, they're happening less and less now. And when they do happen, the government intervention is immediate and, and effective. As so a result, sounds, things don't go on sale. It sounds like this sort of forward-looking intellectual inquiry is interesting but not that literally useful to yeah i mean you got to be your style of investing let's put it that way yeah i mean looking out and what what intrigued me about zahan's book the end of the world is that it gave me comfort about investing in american companies Hmm. because if zahan's right america is going to be standing really strong in the in that future world um, compared to almost virtually every other country in the world. And so obviously a big war with somebody could change that, but assuming that huge war doesn't happen, America's looking really, really good. And so that gives me some comfort and I'd like to know that the comfort is based, is really based deeply in reality um, so that kind of whatever happens in the future in other words, if the demographic cliff doesn't happen, uh, China doesn't lose half its population, America is still going to be strong in a world of you know massive consumer stuff going on, with globalization continuing, then great, America is still going to be good. And if globalization ceases, then great, America is going to be good. So for that reason, I was really intrigued. I wanted to dig in deeper because of that. It gives mm-hmm. me confidence in where I'm investing. And it again, it recalls another Buffettism, which is don't ever bet against the United States of America. It, you bet with it. It's it's, and in terms of its ability to grow, it's the greatest country in the history of the world. It is and an so, interesting yeah, uh, a, note. 
and it's something that I have on my investing checklist is like, what country is this company in? What stock market is it listed on? And what currency does it operate in? What currency is its is its uh, stock in? And like, am I comfortable with that? Just on as a kind of a- added layer or or base, however you want to think about it, to the actual company itself. And I think maybe that's kind of a little bit what you're saying is like, it's not so much about the predictions; it's more about stability of investment. Good and one. maybe looking at that. And, so I guess I'm and thinking the great about range and the great range of, of investment possibilities. We have literally thousands of companies that could be good investments here, given, you know, given something changing in the future or the fact that they could go on sale. And you compare that to most of the countries in the world. And even a big stock market in some of these countries only has a, a few hundred yeah, true. And most of them have a dozen or something, you know, that could be good. So, for example, I've long wanted to invest in Argentina. I just think Argentina is amazing. And um, I love the people and I love the culture and I love I love everything about it, except that they have a 40 percent unemployment rate and it continues to be kind of a World Bank basket case. So every, and, and as a result, there's just not very many investable companies down there. There's a pipeline company. They make pipeline for oil. And I, maybe we can invest in that. It's like in the entire country, we found one company that we could maybe hmm. get interested in. So I'm reminded of, um, oh, what's that book? The Investment Biker. I was just about to say that, too. Yeah. Where he went to Argentina. Jim Rogers, and, Investment yeah, Biker. Yeah, Jim Rogers. Great great in the like much lauded sense investor um american investor who moved to singapore i think right didn't he live he in did, singapore and or, he's been or does for a long time he has been predicting with absolute certainty an Amer- a crash a world global depression massive crash buy commodities now buy rice you know for at least 10 years and it hasn't happened and he's moved himself into a position where he's now in a very small country in the shadow of a very large country that's going through some massive political changes and could be a really dangerous place to be. And it's so interesting because he gave up this, you know, this the safety of the United States for the economic possibilities of being next to China when it could turn out that China has they're done. It could be that they're they're they peaked and they're on their way downhill fast. Um, and we'll see we'll see what how this all comes out. Again, yeah. maybe we dig deeper into this book. We'll find out more. But <laughs> well, yes. So from the perspective of one author, and I have yeah. seen this over and over again, Danielle. Oh, over and over and over again. Um, good friends of mine have good investors took money out of the United States at a certain, I'm talking about over the last 40 years here, out of the US and put it into, I'm thinking of one guy, put it into India, deep into India, because India was gonna be happening. Mm-hmm. And yeah. He got crushed, absolutely crushed in India. So he started all over again, got his investment capital, did it again and got crushed again. Mm-hmm. Another guy is investing heavily in Turkey his, his wife is Turkish and he's got an in in Turkey and so he's mm-hmm. piling it in there and thinking he can overcome the massive inflation rate that's just chewing up the Turkish dollar so or the Turkish currency 
So I have never seen anybody do it well. I I mean, maybe, well, maybe you can. I mean, it being what? Investing in investing emerging in economies, you know? Like, yeah, that's no, a totally invest, different thing than investing, investing internationally. in uh, I mean, I don't Germany. know. Any, I mean, Ray Dalio is a genius at it. And his compounded return is 18% per year with, of course, massive, huge billions and billions of dollars. He's the best at it that I've ever heard of, you know? I mean, Rogers hasn't done anything since calling the British pound uh, going down and shorting it back in the 70s. And he made a billion dollars. I'm sorry, I'm mystified what you're talking about exactly. I mean, obviously. I'm talking about how hard it is to invest anywhere else other than the United States and Canada. Let's say those two places. So you would say European countries. Really hard. Really? Yeah. Really hard. You've got massive labor unions. You've got massive protectionists. They're socialist in general nature. You have no idea. I mean. Maybe. But isn't that part of the process of research and deciding which companies to own? Well, yeah. But if you're sitting in an ocean, if you're fishing, you want to fish in the right barrel. Yeah. And if you're fishing in a socialist barrel, you're already looking at a real problem. Maybe. Because. But I mean, like uh, most countries in Europe are not socialist countries. Uh huh. So, okay. My I, point I is, are, it's actually. a big thing to say that investing anywhere outside the U.S. is automatically not going to be as lucrative or as successful. I didn't say that. Okay, so say again what you're trying to say. I say I don't know anybody that does it well, with the exception ah. of Ray Dalio. Okay. I mean, and Dalio's as smart a person as there is out there. So I don't know anybody well, and you're like probably looking me who's at American that. investors, right? No, I'm looking at guys like Guy Spear. Who's Guy doesn't do it well. I mean, most of what he owns is American. <laughs> okay. What? <laughs> well, that's his choice as an investor. It doesn't mean that it's because he doesn't want to invest in European companies. Well, it's not because I don't want to invest in European countries. I just companies. can't find any companies that I can feel comfortable with. Right? Fair enough. So that's the challenge. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, look at this. I, so I, here's I why I'm asking really interested this. In, hold on. I was really interested in investing in China. Mm-hmm. Totally interested. Sent staff over there, did the research, cranked it for months, made the decision to go into it bought into it and immediate within within weeks the the investment turned into a disaster within weeks because this guy decided to just take over the country you know she just decided to take over the country and change the rules mm-hmm. okay and there goes the investment boom so man alive when you go outside the u.s which is a massively rules-based investment environment. You very strong penalties for not following the rules. Totally, yes. You you and a huge market. It's giant market with trillions of dollars being exchanged for goods every single year. Um, I don't. There's just nothing quite like it. Yeah, there's nothing. I agree. There's nothing quite like it. And yet there are great companies. I think outside the U.S. And wow, what I'd I'm, like to own some of them. Okay, I'll give you one. A lot of people hate this company. Nestle. It's a great company. I was just thinking of Nestle. I mean, 
people hate it because they think it's doing terrible things in other countries, but you can make your own decision about that. It makes a ton of money. Well, why, why don't you own it? I don't know enough about it. I mean, there, there you go. I rest my case. Yeah. So my point is for people, particularly who are not American, who have expertise, let's say in their own country or the country their parents come from or where they live or whatever, they may have knowledge that, you know, an American living in Georgia isn't going to have. And I think Mm -hmm. an interesting question is, is using that knowledge to in some way diversify, which is such a, horrible word in long-term value investing but i do i would i wonder and i have thought is maybe having some investments in more than one country provided of course that they meet every single stringent requirement of any other investment would that be a way to somewhat diversify And particularly thinking about supply chain issues like you brought up last episode, I I find it to be an interesting um, and potentially useful lens. Well, we have students, I mean, we've got thousands of students around the world who are investing in their countries. So what you're saying is true. You may have insights by living in Indonesia or living in Malaysia or living in Brazil that I wouldn't have. I mean, you you know what's good and you know what's bad and you can probably make some good decisions about it that it might be much harder for me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, absolutely, you can invest around the world. The, the problem is for me to be able to do it, I've got to really understand, like let's say that the reason I wanted to invest in Sweden is because I think Sweden is going to be one of the winners in the future yeah. demographic war and that um, I really like the the citizens and I like the culture and I like the government and I think that I could make a good investment there and, and I like the, the currency the currency is going to be stable mm-hmm. so maybe I could figure something out I mean it, I'd like to try because I need a trip to Sweden <laughs> I think it'd be great, uh, right? So, I mean, there there is this possibility. I mean, I'm thinking of... But I of, guess what I'm saying, I'm asking is like, is there an added benefit to that? Again, with the, the requirement, absolute ironclad requirement that we understand the company in the exact same way or maybe even better than other companies you might invest in that are in your home country but as a way to have a little bit of that diversification, maybe just through currency um, in, in your portfolio. Yes, and, and, and I, I think my experience with China is just right to the point, is that I made a mistake in judgment about the government of China. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I made a mistake, and I, I can point to virtually everyone else in the world who made the same mistake, including the former president of China, who got perp-walked out of the assembly. Mm-hmm. He didn't see that coming either. So, but that's the catch. It's like, that's, to me, 
that sort of institutional revolution is much less likely to happen in the United States. Now, if I can find countries where I think it's also equally unlikely to happen, Switzerland, for example, or Sweden, or France, right? Or the UK. Yeah, but I've got to do the work that I don't have to do in the United States. I'm already already comfortable with this one, and to a certain degree with Canada, actually. So I, I haven't hesitated in investing in companies in Canada. I've done it many, many times. And so um, there's a comfort level I think you have to arrive at, Danielle, with, with the country that you're looking at that says, not only is this company gonna have longevity, but it's gonna have longevity because the country it's based in, it has longevity. Yeah, exactly. Another exactly. reason to go deeper into Zahan's book how much and it's stock exchange by the way i'll add that in because uh, there are companies that are based in country x but they're listed in country y and three quarters Mm. of their trading is in country z where it's cross-listed like this sort of cross-border uh it's just it just doesn't happen that much in the u.s so we're so used to this like mono everything Mm -hmm. currency um headquarters etc but i've noticed in european uh, companies that i've looked at that it's much more likely to have multiple countries involved and typically it's the euro because that's easier but not always so sometimes they'll do some stuff in dollars and trade in euros or whatever i'm just thinking of how things get complicated things get complicated there's a company in netherlands i don't remember the name of it but it owns a huge block of 10 cent or I should say, a huge block of what it owns is Tencent. <laughs> and Monash Pabrai bought that company because it was a super deal compared to buying Tencent directly. Mm-hmm. And then that company started having trouble. Hmm. And the trouble came straight from these guys realizing, wow, we've got all this, we can just leverage up and grow our company and and use this this uh, resource to borrow money and, and they just changed their model and it, it's like oh man so y- it's almost like it- everyone thought they were buying like a cool stock and instead they realized that they actually did buy a company like yeah, run by but a venture capital company <laughs> oh really it's, is that what it was yeah it's a venture capital company <laughs> now it's buying these early stage companies and yeah woo-hoo, look at we got all this money <laughs> it's not what you had in mind as an investor no. so yeah, the comp- complexity rises quickly and you want simple. You really want to keep mm-hmm. it simple. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that would be, yeah, that would be what I've gotten from my experience so far is like, okay, when I really try to take on more complexity and I kind of get out of the pool that I understand, um, I can convince myself I know stuff that turns out that I didn't know. Yeah, um, that's a good point. I mean, there's enough stuff I already know I don't know I don't want to add to it by convincing myself I know things that aren't true. That's a good point. Right? Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I think that's the thing. Um, I know a big hot button topic a number of years ago after the big short movie came out was that Michael Burry was buying up water or companies related to water, which is how hmm. I started talking about this. And I think he might have, they might have even put that at the end of the movie which is maybe how everybody started talking about it. Well, right on this subject, I have a, I have a thought. We're huh. going to Ireland, you and me, Uh huh. next week. Yeah. 
Let's take a look at one Irish based company. Oh, my favorite. It'd be like investment biker, but made in real life. Yes. Yes. And let's podcast about it. I mean, I have been to the Swiss exchange, which is pretty much exactly as exciting as any other. (laughs) It's not that exciting. Yeah, you look around and things are happening, but you don't know what. Yeah, but I think I think I bring this up and I hammer it a little bit more because I really do experience Swiss companies in a different in a different way. Is even like downplaying it so much. Like it's such a different level of experience with a given company, even just as a, as a consumer, and you develop kind of, I don't want to say it's cultural exactly, but you develop kind of this just like experiential relationship with consumer facing Mm -hmm. companies that just through your daily life, you start to have, I mean, this is what I tell people all the time, developing an investing practice, just your daily experience, what you're using, what you think about it, what you recommend to other people. And it, it's, it's, it's just such a great place to start learning and researching. Oh, like, Okay, I know Nestle is hated, but like Nestle makes a lot of stuff that you buy in grocery stores here and you look at it and you go like, oh, what's this brand? And then you find the little tiny Nestle label on the corner. Oh, right. It's Nestle. Oh, so is this other thing. Oh, so is this other. God, Nestle owns everything. And start looking at it in the same way you might do that with Johnson & Johnson in the US. And you just start to develop this experiential knowledge about local companies or maybe it's not local but it's just a company that sells a lot of stuff in your country um and i i do think that there's value to that and it's it shouldn't be ignored by people by our our listeners who are not american or don't live in the u.s I, i just think that it's um it's in a way it's a leg up compared to others well i'm i'm excited i think i love going places with a purpose i'm not a good tourist (laughs) <laughs> I can never think of anything to do. And then when I think of something, I usually am like, this is boring. Oh my but, gosh. I just have to say for everybody else's benefit, I've heard this so many times before every trip. Oh, what are we going to do? Oh, it's going to be so boring. Oh, I don't know why I'm going. And then every waking right. moment is filled with busyness and excitement. And we have so many things to do because there are so many things to do. And then you say at the end, oh, why didn't we plan more days? I don't know why I thought I was going to be so bored. Every single time. End of rant. Okay. Well, all right. Still, I love this idea. I think I get real excited about this. I do too. To go, to go and visit a, a stock market in Ireland, a stock market in Iceland, See if we can spot anything interesting. Let's do a little research on that. So Irish listeners nominate a company for us to, we probably won't like visit the company, Mm. but just for us to like find out more about what's an an Irish, genuine Irish company, not Amazon putting their headquarters in Ireland. What is a genuine Irish company that would be cool to look into? Uh, send it to questions at investedpodcast.com, please. That would be really cool. Ooh, I've got something on Iceland already that <laughs> makes me very interested. You know, there's this relationship between GDP and the total price of the stock market, right? The total market capitalization that Warren, it's called the Buffett indicator. The ratio. 
Yep, the Wilshire yep. GDP to Wilshire GDP ratio. And um, ours right now is over 200%, which is way in the red, like mm -hmm. screaming warning, right? Iceland's is 63% of GDP of Iceland, which means it's pretty decent time to buy stocks in Iceland. I guess depending on what it's been in the past. Well, it's been, I don't know what the highs are. It's been as low as 7.5 in 1994, and apparently the high was 76 in 2021. So it's very much like the stock market in the United States back in the 70s and 80s. It never got above 100, and it rarely got above 80, and was usually in the ballpark of 40 to 50. Um, but it was when Buffett was buying an enormous number of companies. You could find companies that were really producing a lot of cash flow. So I think if we could find a company with the right financials and as something we could understand, we could maybe make an investment while we're there. Just maybe. a little one. There's you know, a you great article you, that Michael Lewis wrote. What do you call those wrote. kinds of investments where you sort of just nibble in a little bit? <laughs> what do I call that? that. What'd you call it? I, don't, I called I don't it something good. Yeah, it was a good name. But yeah, it was maybe so we could good that I don't Irish remember. or Icelandic real estate or something. I don't know. Be fun to just take a look know. at it as an investor. I'm not promising any of this. Okay, but I I would like to do that. So yeah. you guys, maybe we'll come. Maybe we'll we'll get a chance to hear us talk about that. I think that'd be really fun. What you should read, Dad, there's a great article that Michael Lewis wrote about the collapse of the banking industry in Iceland. And it's a really good primer on what Iceland was doing before they started pushing tourism, which they had to do because they had no other industry. And that's what's that's where it is now. All right. Well, right on the top of my list is going to be we go to Dublin and we go straight to the Euronext, the Irish Stock Exchange, Euronext Dublin authorized by the Central Bank of Ireland to operate four securities markets. Let's go. Let's go find I mean, something. Why Let's try is to that, buy something. Why is that exciting to go to a stock? It's so exciting. Have you been to one? No. They're so boring. I've like, never it's been just to a Ireland. building. It's just like an office building. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm weird. What can I tell you? So um, until then. All right. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> you guys, we'll be talking to you from Ireland next. Time to go play. See ya. Bye. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And I'm really important. It's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only. And I really hope you enjoyed it.